Welcome to Passports and Pizza, a podcast about everything by two carb-loving, carry-on-only gals. I'm Laura, a traveler and teacher with an appetite for adventure. And I'm Sarah, an artist and food blogger who travels mainly for the food. Join us as we dive into anything and everything that's on our plate and on our mind. All right, we've got a big episode. (laughs) Jam-packed. Literally just finished Little Caesar's deep dish. Yes, so... Last episode, we had on Sarah Kiefer, and she said that that was her favorite, like, guilty pleasure pizza. I get it. And it was good. It was very good. It had, like, sort of that Pizza Hut um, pan yeah. pizza The personal bottom. pan pizza. Yeah, the it had, like, just that nice, thick... That textured... Crust that's, like, buttery. chewy. Yeah, buttery and, um, like, air bubbles. Yeah. Nice air bubbles in there. Yeah, it was good. And it was nine bucks. Oh, was it? Yeah. Wait, did you guys get one pizza or two? I got two. Okay. Got some in the refrigerator. So. How big was it? Because I didn't see it like as a whole uh, pizza. I like, you know, it was a square or a rectangle. A rectangle. So okay. it had eight slices. So. Okay. I don't know. I, I'm really bad at like spatial awareness. Okay. So, but it's probably comparable to, comparable to one of their normal large pizzas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Like a grandma-style large, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was good, honestly. Yeah, I would eat it again. Yeah, for sure. And it's two minutes from my work, so... Uh-oh. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> also, before we do our salty sweets, we're going to announce our winner. Yeah, we have a winner of our giveaway, so thank you so much to everyone who entered. Yes. But our winner is... MBRAC24 on Instagram. Woo! So, Miranda, when you hear this, please DM us your address, and we have a COVID care package to send your way. It's really fun. Lots of fun stuff in there. Yeah. But yeah, thank you all for entering. It means a lot. And please keep spreading the word, because it helps a lot. Yeah. This <clears throat> wee little podcast we have. <laughs> Very wee. Wee. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on the wee. Yeah. <laughs> So shall we get into Salty Sweet? Yeah. Why okay. don't you start us off? Okay. Um, my Salty is that around this time of year, I have one thing that pushes me forward in the school year, and it's planning travel. Oh, true. <laughs> it's like normally I take between Christmas and New Year's to like just like think about all the possibilities of like where I want to go and you know, what sort of experiences to have. And, you know, Luke and I can sit down and dream about it. And then in the bleak midwinter, we like actually do all the planning and we watch movies Mm. about it and we read books and watch TV shows and try to make recipes. And none of that can happen right now. Nope. (laughs) So I feel like it, I was trying to figure out like why this winter feels like a little mundane and it just feels like it's dragging right now, even mm-hmm. though the holidays are coming. And I was like, that's freaking why? Because mm-hmm. I have no, no light at the end of the tunnel right well, now. And also normally we always, it's like every weekend there's some kind of holiday get together. Yeah. And so it's like, you're like, oh my God, I'm planning for Christmas, but I also have all these events to go to and people to see. Like, and, oh, and next weekend's this and yeah, this and, and you're that. like running out of time to do everything in your life. But this year it's just like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everyone's at home. Everyone's at home. There's no end in sight. I mean, with the vaccination sounds great. And as a teacher, I hope I'll be one of the earlier people to get Mm. a vaccination. But still doesn't mean that we're going to be able to travel. 
So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like I'm going to have to find some sort of like wanderlusty travel thing to get me through. I don't know what it's going to be. So if anyone has any tips, let me know. Mm. That's my salty. Okay. <clears throat> my sweet. I'm going to flip the switch and I'm going to be a Taylor Swift stan. Oh, I was wondering if you're going to talk about that. Okay. So as some of you know, Sarah is the OG Taylor Swift stan loves her. I actually did not like Taylor Swift for a long time just because I didn't like her music. But then folklore came out. And even <laughs> even Lover sort of started. Yeah, you were, yeah, you were it's a soft your toe in there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But folklore really sold it for me. Like, folklore is a comfort album for me. It's a mm-hmm. sad girl album. It's the type of music I wish I would have been introduced to, like, to become a fan of Taylor Swift from the beginning. Anyway, mm-hmm. today... Taylor Swift announced that she's going to release Evermore at midnight, and she is literally, like, saving 2020. (laughs) Saving 2020. I texted Robert about it this morning, and he's like, wait, is 2020 actually your best year? (laughs) (laughs) Um, With news like this, yes. And honestly, like, I don't know what it is about folklore, but... I think I just really enjoy the storytelling element and I really think the the lyrical power that she has and also I just think it's more of my style of music. Mm-hmm. I just loved it and knowing that this is a sister album. Yeah, it's basically just folklore 2.0. Exactly. And I'm just like, "Oh my god." I know. So, it's coming out at midnight tonight. So, by this by the time this comes out, I'm sure like everyone listened to it a million times. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. So, that and I I officially am I think a Taylor Swift stan. <laughs> yeah, based like, on your text to me this morning, yeah, you definitely I, are. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of like, you know, whatever about it initially, but no, I I, I am for real a fan, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely. Taylor Swift saves 2020. I co-sign on that suite for sure. Yeah. All right, what about you? <clears throat> well, my salty is a rant, which I well, can't remember if I might have talked about this on a different episode in like season one. Okay. My salty is um, I'm tired of people who don't really know me asking me why I don't have any babies yet. Oh, here we go. <laughs> you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. So. Or at least at least to me, you're preaching to the choir. There's this man who does work at my office like fairly often. Um, like a handyman kind of person. And the last time he saw me, he was like asking if I had kids yet. But like he walks in and he literally greets me by asking if I have kids yet. That hello, how are what, how are yeah, things? No hello, just you got any kids yet? And it's like I would have thought you'd have some kids by now. And first of all, oh. it's none of your business. And second of all, this is extremely personal. And here's the thing. If I don't have kids yet, it's because I either A, don't want kids, or B, I do want kids, but for whatever reason, I don't have them yet. And guess what? I don't want to explain either one of those things to you, nor should I have to. And like, I don't want to explain my whole situation to him. Like, oh, you know what? I would have liked to have kids soon. 
but I'm actually getting divorced from my gay husband. So no, I won't be having kids anytime in the near future. Thanks for bringing it up. And I'd love to tell you about it. Just kidding. No, I don't want to. Why, why do people think that asking, do you have kids yet is small talk? No, and it's like, it's literally the most intimate thing you can ask someone. It's and like the other thing too is I doubt that he walks into other business places and talks to men of my age about why they don't have kids yet as if it's the only thing they could possibly talk to them about. Or anything you could possibly have going on in your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh my God, you're a woman in your 30s with a job, but you're married and you don't have babies coming out of you yet? Oh my goodness, what are you doing? It's, and especially, like, you and I both know a handful of people who are dealing with infertility yep. or have dealt with pregnancy loss. Yep. This is an extremely sore subject, for me included. And it's like, I don't need to talk to you about this. And the next time this man says something to me, I'm going to go off. And like, it's one thing to even just ask, oh, do you have kids? Just like as a weird conversation, but it's still like, guys, just stop doing that. Or even sometimes like maybe in the context of what you're talking about, you might kind of just need to know, like for referencing, depending on how you're talking, like, oh, do you have kids? Like, you know, something conversational like that, but to come in and be like, how could you possibly not have kids yet? You're married, aren't you? And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. You're also a married man. Have you had a baby come out of your body since you're a married person? It's just apparently that's my job now. It's not small talk. It's just you don't talk about it. Like, (sighs) unless you are extremely close to that person, you know what's going on in their own personal body, which which means you must have a very intimate relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. This is not a topic of conversation for you to have. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, even with my find closest another, friends. Find another question. Yeah, talk to me about literally anything else. And then he, he asked me the other day when this came up, he even said, he was like, well, are you married? Which, like, he should have known because we had this conversation <laughs> before. And I just said yes because I wasn't going to be like, well, technically I'm still married, but actually I'm getting divorced because my husband's gay, but we're still really good friends and blah, blah, blah. So that's my story. <laughs> uh- <laughs> this guy's, like, dropping off boxes. <laughs> You should have just completely unloaded on him. Honestly, oh, my God. Like, and it ruined my whole day. Yep. It, it, it had me, like, seething at my desk. And we're not even women who f- have faced infertility or a loss of a child. Like, yeah. we haven't even dealt with it. Can you imagine the pain of that? Yeah. Like, are you it's kidding so me? It's so rude. Stop I, doing yeah. it. Just stop it. The insinuation of grandchildren, the insinuation of you don't have a child yet is hurtful, and yes. we should stop doing it. Period. Yeah. End of story. What's your sweet? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> well, my sweet is that I feel like for once in my life, at least in the near, like recent future or past, whatever, of late, <laughs> I bossed Christmas. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> like gift giving is not my love language. And sometimes I really struggle with it and it can stress me out. And especially the holidays, if you have like a million parties you're trying yep. to do and all this stuff's going on. And I'm like, oh, right. I also need to buy a bunch of gifts for people. Well, somehow this year I was like kind of ahead of the game and um, had like a pretty good plan going into like Thanksgiving weekend. And I did almost all of my shopping online on Black Friday. Good for you. And it took me like all day. It was a whole day of affair. How did you plan for people? 
Um, I had some things that I already had in mind for people, but I always have a list of people I'm shopping for. And then um, I, I just like had it in my mind for like a week or so leading up to this. And then yeah. I was like, yeah, because Black Friday weekend, I really want to just like sit down and just order a bunch of stuff, especially with shipping delays and everything going on. True. So I did it and I was like, oh my gosh, I actually ordered basically all my gifts. And then there are so many people that I won't even be seeing. Right. So I had things shipped directly to them. So I don't even have to like wrap half the gifts or Boom. anything. Some of the people already got their gifts. And I'm like, done. <laughs> Christmas is taken care of. That's awesome. And it feels great. I feel like I can actually just kind of like enjoy this season and like s- relax because this huge burden has been lifted. <laughs> I, I'm jealous. We're still shopping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're primarily done, but... I have had years where I felt like I bossed Christmas, mm-hmm. and it feels great. But I feel like I'm behind on my Christmas cookie baking. So oh. this weekend, I want to make cookies, like, just for the sake of making cookies. I'm making the scotchies recipe <gasps> yeah. that we did the oatmeal last year. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we, had a cook, we had a Christmas cookie episode. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes because the oh, recipe for those cookies is in there. So good. Yeah. Well, that was a hefty Woo! intro, but now... <laughs> We've got a hefty, yeah, meaty part. So we sort of wanted to start doing some episodes on like food and travel news. Obviously, travel news is pretty much zilch right now. <laughs> and the biggest news in the food scene has been the Bon Appetit blow up. So um, we're going to talk about it. I have a timeline of events that we're going to go through and we're going to talk about our feelings. Yeah. We need to discuss it. We have to. It's the elephant in the packet. Yeah, Yeah. it is. (laughs) So we're going to get into it. Okay, Laura, take us away. Okay, so a quick synopsis for people who are unfamiliar with Bon Appetit. Basically, Bon Appetit has had an extremely popular YouTube series, Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. Um, It's a food publication. Obviously, it's a magazine. And it's a part of Condé Nast, but the YouTube series really, really jetted off um, maybe like three-ish years ago, two, three years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Um, and essentially, last spring into summer, um, Bon Appetit came under a lot of serious fire um, with allegations of racism, many employees of color describing it as a toxic work environment, and allegations of unfair pay and more. So the fallout led to the resignation of executives and eight of the Bon Appetit YouTube stars um, who refused to film again or either quit the whole publication. So today we're going to unpack the drama. Yeah, and there's a lot. So if you are familiar with Bon Appetit, a lot of these names are going to sound familiar. And mm-hmm. if this is over your head, just just stick in it for, like, our commentary because we have a lot of feelings. Yeah. <laughs> so if we're saying names, you're like, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Um, Which, like, can I also say, as much as this is – well, no, it is a big deal. But, like, to us, it felt so painful because we love the BA YouTube channel and stuff. Yeah. So it just hurt that we're like, can we not have anything nice? Especially because this was during, like – yeah. Peak quarantine. Peak quarantine, peak summer 2020. A lot of people were getting canceled during this time. It was it was rough. It was. It's and this was time. a bright spot in our lives that was like, oh my and god. And I was like just really getting into like watching a lot of their videos yeah. that they were all filming from home. And I was and like, this all well, blew up. So okay. There goes that. So we're going to go day by day what's going on. 
Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that happens is May 31st, Bon Appetit posts a black square on Instagram with the text saying, food has always been political in solidarity with the death of George Floyd. Um, and in the caption, they basically promise that they're going to be tackling more racial and political issues. Then that's sort of like dominoes because on Twitter, um, a Puerto Rican food writer, um, Ayana Masonette, um, I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right, um, she shared that she viewed this as hypocritical because she said, quote, before we go praising them for patting themselves on the back for showing solidarity, maybe we can get some full issues of regional foods from Puerto Rico, Africa, Brazil, by the people from those countries, right? Mm -hmm. So some background, she had been denied a story or multiple stories that she had freelanced for the publication of um, BIPOC recipes that she had researched um, because they were, she was told that they were not current enough. Mm -hmm. So she and the editor-in-chief... Adam Rappaport go back and forth on Twitter um, and Instagram. They're like DMing each other. Mm -hmm. And Rappaport says that Bon Appetit readers expect food stories now about what's happening now. But that wasn't always the case for the exceptions of Rick Martinez, Mark, uh, Carnita's recipe, Priya's many Indian recipes, and Andy's favorite Persian dishes. He went on to say that the staff writers of color had a simpler path to a green light for pitches. So he is basically saying like, this food that you want to talk about is not, like, trendy enough. It's not cool enough. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like, not mainstream. Yeah. And the Bon Appetit readers don't want that, except these three people. And then Ayana mm. basically, or Ileana. Ili I think it's Ileana. I'm so sorry. I should have looked up her name. It's totally my bad. Um, she pointed out that Adam had listed the three people of color staff as the token writers, um, like, why are you tokenizing, like, the people of color, whatever? And Twitter basically blows up. Yeah. Um, do you want to share the oh God. the ultimate doozy? <laughs> yeah. So, like, and you'll see as we go through this, it is just, like, a constant domino effect of more and more stuff coming to the surface. So this is when a photo of Adam Rappaport in costume meant to resemble a stereotypical Puerto Rican resurfaced from his wife's Instagram account. Yeah. And the caption was hashtag TBT me and my poppy and tagged hashtag Boricua. And there were comments on it, like depicting Puerto Ricans as scary and intimidating. Yeah. Like people Not being like, dude, I was good. so afraid of you that night. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. Terrible. And that like, Made everyone outraged. Yeah, everyone is obviously upset by this. So Priya Krishna stated, quote, as a BA contributor, I can't stay silent on this. This is effed up, plain and simple. It erases the work that BIPOC on staff have long been doing behind the scenes. I plan to do everything in my power to hold the editor-in-chief and systems that hold up actions like this accountable. So yeah, Priya is one of the first people to speak out about it. Um, and then uh, Bon Appetit's research director, Joseph Hernandez, also tweets that he was appalled and insulted by the editor-in-chief's choice to embrace brownface, adding that he was potentially courting internal reprimand for speaking out against him. Mm. So Bon Appetit is already sort of like kind of punishing people for speaking out. Yeah. So then Andy Baragani, who is a senior editor, 
weighed in, writing in an Instagram story that he wanted to make it very clear that he did not condone the photo of Rappaport. It is beyond inexcusable, is what he said. Yeah. And then Sola enters the chat. <laughs> There's our Sola. There's our girl. She's, and this is where it really when Sola, hits the fan. Yeah. This is when things go crazy. So Sola said, quote, I am angry and disgusted by the photo of Adam Rappaport. I have asked for his resignation. This is just a symptom of the systematic racism that runs rampant within the Condé Nast as a whole. Yeah, so actually, I'll find a link to it. I think it was when she was on the Sporkful podcast talking about it. So basically, I guess they had like a Zoom meeting with Adam and he like apologized and addressed this. And then they wanted to just like move on. Yeah. And Sola was like, no, you need to resign. So Sola was the one who spoke out. Yeah. And was like, wait, no, this meeting isn't over. This is not the end of this. You need to leave. Right. Yeah. And um, it's good for her. That had to be so hard to do. Yeah. And she was not um, up in the ranks as far as everyone on the Bon Appetit Mm -hmm. staff was. She was a, I think she was a junior writer. She wasn't Mm -hmm. one of the main um, senior writers. Anyway, um, she addressed the controversy also in an Instagram story suggesting that Bon Appetit paid only white editors Mm, for the video appearances on the publication's YouTube channel. So, that's a big, big deal. Yeah. She um, she asserted that most white editors with significantly less experience mm-hmm. um, for a salary of $50,000, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. In New York City. In New York City. Like, she's, she's a She's like a YouTube sensation. Yes. Through, like, a breakout star from their YouTube channel. Yeah. Find out she's not even getting paid separately for that work. And she already only makes a salary of $50,000. Yeah, and she said that she had been pushed in front of the video as a display of diversity. Which is absolutely true. Yeah. Because most most of the um, Bon Appetit test kitchen staff were white or white mm-hmm. presenting. So Molly Baz, my girl, <laughs> says, Please let it be known that I stand with my family at Bon Appetit and do not support the behavior of our editor-in-chief. I will not appear in any videos on Bon Appetit until my BIPOC colleagues receive equal pay, and are fairly compensated for their appearances. And then Carla Lolly Music shared that she would not contribute as a host in videos until Sola was appropriately compensated. And she also called out Condé Nast's executive behind the YouTube videos to address the issue. Yeah, and then Condé Nast goes to Variety and says, this is untrue, and that the publication's white editors were paid for appearing in the videos while people of color were not. they basically saying, this is not true. Um, right. Now, later that evening, Adam Rappaport resigns. So this all happens within 24 hours. Wait, so when did the 24 hours start? With um, When Sola enters the chat. Or was it... Okay. Oh, sorry. When, when, the, when the photo came out of him. Yes, within 24 hours, he had resigned. So but okay. all of that, all that happened. happened in 24 yeah. hours. Oh, boy. Yeah, and okay. he announced that he would be stepping down to reflect on the work that he needed to do as a human being and to allow <laughs> Bon Appetit to get to a better place. Um, he called the costume extremely ill-conceived and that he had not championed an inclusive vision and that the staff had been working very hard to evolve the brand in a positive, more diverse direction. I will do all that I can to support that work, but I am not the one to lead it. Um, I am deeply sorry for my feelings and to the position in which I put the editors of Bon Appetit. Oh, yeah. This is We're just sifting the surface right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the Confederate cake. So this is June 9th. This is what, the next day? Yeah, next day. Okay, here we go. What happens the next day? 
<laughs> Ale- Alex Delaney. Oh. Yeah. So he's the drinks editor. Um, a photo of a Confederate flag cake that he baked resurfaced online from his old Tumblr. So in its original post, he said he baked the cake for his best friend who was moving to the South. Quote, to honor her new home, my friends and I felt the need to express some Southern heritage in cake form. Such a glorious cake for such a sad occasion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Alex goes on to say that he the Tumblr was his, and he said, quote, it goes without saying that this is a despicable sim- symbol that a 17-year-old should should understand. It does not reflect the values that I hold now. I condemn whoever uses or glorifi- glorifies that flag. Um, And he said, I cannot apologize intensely enough. I know it doesn't cut it, but I am truly sorry. The significance of the failure is not lost on me. And then he said he would donate his next paycheck to the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund um, and donate to other charities and organizations that fight for progress. Um, But then more screenshots came out um, from his Tumblr posts um, and tweets, um, including a vine in which he used a homophobic slur. Um, So Mm -hmm. even more... Stuff is coming to light. Yeah. Which, like, I thought his apology was good. Like, he owned what he did and didn't try to make excuses for it. Yeah. And and I do believe putting it into action by donating his paycheck, that's Mm -hmm. important. Um, Absolutely. Oh, man. But, yeah, it's just like, oh, it's just, as you'll see, it's just like so many people are just, yeah, like, this is the people working there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the same day, mm-hmm. offensive tweets from Matt Duckor, who's the vice president at Condé Nast, vice president of this whole conglomerate magazine situation, wow. um, who previously oversaw Bon Appetit's video content, mm-hmm. also surfaced. In these tweets, Matt described working out and listening to John Mayer as so gay <laughs> and joked about black people and Asian same-sex couples in the Harlem neighborhood. So, really offensive tweets, mm-hmm. homophobic tweets, um, saying, and this prompted a petition calling for an independent um, outside investigation into racial inequality at the company, which I think is fair. When mm-hmm. this many people are obviously, there are things coming mm-hmm. to light, like, we need to take a look at what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then that evening. Oh, my God. It just keeps going. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is basically Business Insider does a whole article. Yeah, this article. Which, Ooh. like. You can't read unless you pay for Business Insider. So unless you get, like, one free article. So, you know, we'll link to it. Yeah. Um, We'll link to the resources. We'll link to a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that we've used for this. Yeah. But, yeah, Business Insider published an article before the controversies even happened that day. So this was before (laughs) all of this, um, in which 14 Bon Appetit employees and contributors described the publication as a toxic environment for people of color. All of those 14 employees identified as people of color. Um, And some of the allegations were that they felt that non-white employees were socially and professionally slighted. Um, They were second class because of the less lucrative contracts for people of color in the video space and the exclusion of non-white employees in professional engagements. So they felt like there were were different Mm -hmm. things that were going on that they just were not invited to. Yeah. Rap- the probably the most meaty thing out of this is Adam Rappaport's mm-hmm. assistant. Yeah. Um which is mind-boggling. Blo- this this makes me so angry and I'll get into it. 
Um, well, here, I'll, I'll say what it is. So his assistant or former assistant, because I think she had quit by the time. Yeah, she, she, had no, she was, wasn't with him at the time. But yeah. So by the time the article came out, she had quit. So she disclosed that her annual salary in New York City as an assistant to the editor in chief of Bon Appetit We're magazine. We're talking Manhattan. Was $35,000 a year. And I, I believe it was like at the beginning of the pandemic and stuff, she approached him about a raise. And he, he turned her down yep. and said, this might not be the right job for her. Yeah. She stated, I am the only black woman on his staff and he treats me like the help. And so a representative from Kanye Nast responded saying the company was listening and are taking seriously the concerns raised by the employees um, who came out in that article. Who, yeah, yeah, who were in the article. And that the company was accelerating its diversity and inclusion report along with pay equity analysis by the end of 2020. And this is what <laughs> yeah, this is- boils my blood, okay? Because I saw a thing on Twitter back when all this went on, that someone was pretty sure, and this is just on Twitter, so it's like how, right? Uh, you know. Take it with a grain of salt. That Adam Rappaport's salary was probably upwards of $750,000 a year. So I did a little research because I'm like, I want to try to find out if this is true. Yeah. And so I found an article from the New York Magazine talking about salaries for various jobs like this and talking specifically about Condé Nast publications, it says, depending on the profitability and profile of the magazine, which Bon Appetit has to be one of their most profitable verticals at Condé Nast, because of their YouTube channel. Yep. Their pay for an editor-in-chief ranges from $500,000 to $1.5 million. And we're talking about his assistant being paid (laughs) $35,000. And this is this is what makes me so angry. Like, even if he was making $350,000 a year, he's making 10 times as much as his assistant. And this is where I wish someone like him, when his if his assistant came to him and said, I make $35,000 a year, I cannot live like this. Can I have a raise? I would hope that if it was me, I would march right up to HR and say you need to take at least a hundred thousand off of my salary and add it to hers because I can't do my job well if she doesn't do her job well. And if she's fretting about paying her rent and buying groceries, guess what? She's not doing her job well. Yeah. And why am I paid that much more than her? Well, it's, also the whole solo thing. Fifty k. She's gonna. I can't 50K. handle it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely yeah, crazy. I, I can't handle it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I have lots of feelings about, like, pay transparency. We'll get into it at the end. So mm-hmm. let's keep going. Um, okay. June 10th. So literally this 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 article comes out the evening of June 9th. The next morning, <laughs> Andy um, responds to Alex's offensive video where he talks a homophobic slur. Um, remember, he's also the Confederate cake guy. Andy speaks up and he mm-hmm. says that. Because Andy is a gay, gay man. Yeah. Um, he says that the clip was hurtful and triggering and all too familiar. However, he was immediately ex- accused of microaggressions of his own. So one Twitter user reposted screenshots of the Instagram stories that said that Andy had attempted to cut multiple projects 
by a female Korean-American colleague. And in the series of tweets, the former Bon Appetit staffer Elise Whitney accused him of basically trying to shelf her profile of Queer Eyes Antony. <laughs> because he doesn't like him. Because he had, quote-unquote, petty feelings toward him. Which is... Like, so petty, and obviously, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you are a freelancer, if you're um, a staffer and you're just trying to get your pitch out there, and if someone in power mm-hmm. just refuses it because of petty feelings, that's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. And who would oh. ever have anything against Anthony? <laughs> anyway. Sweet baby angel. I know. <laughs> As far as we know, anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So Elise said, quote, this is the second time that Andy used his popularity to sway editorial decisions and undercut my work. Both times he went directly to my editor to try to kill a story based on petty feelings about Antony. He never spoke about, spoke to me about it. Both times I cried at my desk. Oh my God. Which is like, yikes. It's just like all this stuff is coming out like boom, boom, boom. And it's just like, wow, we all love this be a YouTube channel and it seems so like happy and cozy and like, oh, it seems like such a fun place to work. And it's Turns like, out. <laughs> uh, what is going on? What is going you lied. on? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Oh yeah. God. So the next day, right? Yeah, next day. Matt Ducker leaves Condé Nast and Bon Appetit acknowledges the fallout. Yeah. So Bon Appetit posts on Instagram. We, the staff of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, want to address our readers, contributors, and peers in light of Adam Rappaport's resignation as editor-in-chief. The deeply offensive photo circulating of Adam is horrific on its own, but also speaks to the much broader and longstanding impact of racism at these brands. (laughs) You think? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, So basically... um They said, we haven't properly learned from or taken ownership of our mistakes, but things are going to change. To make Bon Appetit and Epicurious their, like, sister brand um, inclusive, just and equitable, um, they would be prioritizing people of color for the editor-in-chief candidate pool, implementing anti-racism training for staff, and resolve any pay inequalities that are found across all departments. This is just a start. We want to be transparent, accountable, and active as we begin to dismantle racism at our brands. And I thought when this statement came out, I was like, okay. Like, we're going to address it. Yeah. We're 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 addressing it. We're facing it. We're we're going to do the work. It It sounded, it was, it sounded everything that we were waiting to hear. Yeah. And then we're like, okay, let's see you do the work. Yeah. And we're going to wait and see. And guess what? We wait and saw. Yeah. Just wait. It's not good. Just wait. It's not good. The next day, Christina reveals that she hadn't been paid. So, so Chris- Christina's yeah. um, Asian American. Asian American. I'm, I'm not sure what culture she comes from. On the, but she's in the. She's been popping up in the videos. Yeah, more she's, and more. Yeah, she's become a a regular in the YouTube series. Um, not quite as popular as some of the other names, but she's definitely an up and coming figure there. Um, and she admitted that she had not been paid for her time on the YouTube videos that she had been on. Mm-hmm. Um, and she spoke up and fans and colleagues rallied around her. Andy said, love you, work wife. Molly was said, proud of your words. And um, again, a representative from Condé Nast said that it is simply not true to suggest that employees are not compensated for their video work. As full-time employees, they are paid salary and receive benefits. That does not address the fact that <sighs> no. they are doing that work, but then they're also appearing on the YouTube mm-hmm. series. Yeah, because the whole issue is that some people on the YouTube channel 
have separate contracts and are paid all this extra money for their video work. But meanwhile, people like Sola and Christina are getting paid for their normal job, but then on top of their normal job are appearing in videos for zero extra compensation. While other people have their working contract, as they said, um, get a paid a full salary and receive benefits and they get an extra stipend for their work on the video. Right. So that's not addressing the issue, Bon Appetit, no. or Condé Nast, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's frustrating. Oh, Lord. So we're like, uh-oh, like, what's going to happen? Yeah, so then several hours later, Claire Saffitz promised to make amends and repair things at the outlet. She wrote that she had spent the f- past few days searching for words to address the situation. Ultimately, she said, she rejected the advice she'd been given in order to avoid resharing the trite and hollow promises about doing better. The point of this post is not to perform an apology or save face. It's not about view counts or likes. It's about complicity and accountability. As an employee, she said... She was aware of some of the toxic, racist, secret, and ultra-competitive environment at Bon Appetit, but she also missed a lot. She said, I should have seen it earlier and used my platform and clout to push back against leadership, adding that her privilege helped her enter and succeed in a toxic system. Mm. She then went on to say that she didn't ask questions about her colleagues' compensation when inviting them to appear in her Gourmet Makes videos. While she feels... Shitty about her actions, she said her feelings are not the priority. Rather, she will focus on how she can do the work of repair. I only hope that through sustained learning slash unlearning slash relearning, I can better show up for people I deeply respect, she Which concluded. Which is a solid, a solid apology for someone who had waited a bit to say anything. Yeah, she, um, it, yeah, people were saying it, it took her a little long. But I think what she said was good. Yeah. And maybe the most honest, yeah. you know, in acknowledging her own privilege there. I think I think if you are in a conglomerate magazine publication like Bon Appetit, I, th- I, do, th- I do think that it could be easy to lose sight of mm-hmm. your privilege and also the toxic work environment and just mm-hmm. becoming a cog in the wheel. You also, know? I think, if I'm not mistaken, Claire had was one of the first people to mm-hmm. go freelance for Bon Appetit. Mm-hmm. So she might have been a little more out of the loop about everything. Yeah. And it's also just another example of how everyone there was just paid completely differently for yeah. doing the same work, Yep, essentially. Um, similarly, Andy um, apologizes for being too focused on his career, um, sort of how Claire was saying that she was too focused and wasn't even aware of some of the... Um, privilege she had and that he should have properly elevated the voices of his BIPOC colleagues. Um, and he called it an effed up system with Conde and had conversations with colleagues, specifically the one former coworker who he had not named, but we can assume is the um, editor who, the who whole was, Anthony yeah, situation. About that. Um, and he takes full responsibility for his behavior that undermined their work. So. <sighs> yeah. Thanks. So now we're at June 25th. Yeah. BA video editor Matt Hunziker, a.k.a. Hunzi. Hunzi. <laughs> he was suspended in late June, and some employees theorized that it was over social media posts critical of the company because he was tweeting out. Because mm-hmm. I was seeing it, like, every morning that he was out there tweeting about how messed up this all was. Yeah. Like, he was not being silent about it in that way. And people thought his suspension was basically Conde mm-hmm. slapping him and being slapping him on the wrist and saying like, you can't do that. Yeah. Which is messed up. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and also current and former Condé Nast employees said that black celebrities were rejected from videos via a racist vetting system. So they used to have this scale check thing where they would um, uh, basically process who should be a guest on the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Um, And they evaluated these video pitches against, like, data, and it rejected, like, major black celebrities like Lizzo, Megan Thee Stallion. Oh, my God. Like, huge black celebrities, but they, according to their scale check vetting process, they were not going Mm -hmm. to meet the standards, which is questionable. Right. Also, I'm sure whatever system they were using is based on a racist system already. Uh, Totally. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So anyway, 13 current and former employees said that this process led to the rejection of pitches focused on non-white communities. Um, and it also led to chefs of color being sidelined in uncompromised and undercompensated video appearances or wow, and uncompensated video appearances while white coworkers were given more lucrative hosting gigs. So basically mm-hmm. this rating system is something that's totally messing up the whole system. Yeah. Whatever system that is, is not working. Yeah. So on August 6th, Priya, Rick and Sola bounce after failed contract negotiations and this is when like this is when i was like okay it was like full disappointment yeah like wow because they made this whole thing like we're gonna we're gonna do these things we're gonna do the work Mm -hmm. like let's make this absolutely fair yeah we're gonna talk about pay and then this whole thing blows up yeah so after five weeks of contract negotiations they were offered contracts that would have resulted in a pay cut for rick martinez a slight bump for priya but would still ultimately leave them being paid less than their white counterparts. Yeah, and Sola's new version of her contract, she would get a 20000 raise to make basically a 60K salary. And she was insulted and appalled by, given that the other Bon Appetit stars were said to earn much more mm-hmm. per episode fees over time. So basically, some of the other yeah. contracts... There must have been conversations where they were sharing, like, Mm -hmm. what they were, what their contracts were. Yeah. Probably that they never had before. Mm -hmm. And she was insulted because some of these contracts that the other employees had, they're getting per episode fees. So these things, like, really add up. Yeah. Ridiculous. So as of August 6th, negotiations were still ongoing for everyone at the company, with the exception of Krishna, Martinez, and L. Wally. With, what is, who is this? Oh, this is, this is Sola. Oh, so Sola said, quote, with this company, it's just mind boggling. The only thing I can work out in my head is that the sanctity of the institution is more important than some of the people who work there. Where the institution is more important than the humans, apparently. Like, but it's like, which is, which is so silly because they made their whole YouTube series personality driven. Yeah. Like you, like, you come back for the. Bon people. Appetit could have been dead as a magazine if it weren't for this YouTube channel. Oh yeah. Oh my god. So after this whole thing failed, the contract negotiations falls through. Molly announces that she will no longer appear in videos. And also, so did Gabby. She yep. said she would not be signing a contract to appear in videos. So yep. Gabby would keep her job as what was she test kitchen manager. Yes, but I actually found out that she's no longer with the company. Oh, okay. And neither is Molly, so. Yeah, neither is Molly. Yeah. So then Drinks Editor Alex Laney issued a lengthy apology. He addressed the online speculation surrounding the history of his employment at Bon Appetit. 
He went on to clarify that his career at Condé Nast began with an internship. He was then hired as an assistant production manager at BA in 2014 at a salary of 35000 After taking on what he says were unpaid writing roles for two years, he was offered a job as an assistant web editor, then as an associate editor. In 2019, he was given the chance to oversee drinks coverage without a raise or a promotion. His current salary, he says, is 76000 per year for video and editorial work. But this is also just another example of how white people more often are able to even get to the point that he was at. Because, because unpaid, unpaid yeah, work. Who unpaid work or underpaid work. You have to come from some kind of financial privilege to be able to do that at all. Yes. And just face it, white people are more often able to do that than BIPOC people. So yeah. like because inherited wealth is more yeah. is more apparent in yeah. white people. If you had student loans, you wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> well, it's I'll just tell you that much. it's just it's very clear that this is a Or you would just be system. in super debt. Like yeah. yeah. Um then on August 10th, Hunzi <laughs> uh, who spoke out against Bon Appetit returned to work after his suspension. And two days later, Carla Lolly Music announced that she would be also leaving the Bon Appetit video. And in October, Claire did the same. So, yep. Yep. So then on October 13th, BA announced eight new chefs were joining their YouTube channel. And only, th- which, I mean, were they all people of color that they added? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, only three of the original cast remain, Brad Leone, Andy Baragani, and Chris Morocco. Which also, where is, was Chris Morocco in all this? All, and Brad. <laughs> yeah, crickets. I mean, they did, I, I do know that they <clears throat> have, both of them have independently shared, like, basically their feelings of that this is unfair at Bon mm-hmm. Appetit, but have not really rallied behind the people speaking out as much as mm-hmm. the other people we've covered. Which I right. think is like... Like, Andy has definitely come to the side of some people, but he's also, Mm -hmm. like, he's also been someone who's been called out. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, it's interesting that those three stuck. Um, Yeah. On November November 2nd, Dawn Davis, a woman of color, um, is officially named Bon Appetit's new editor-in-chief. And that made me happy. Um, Yeah. I think that's the right decision. And I think, I hope that Dawn is able to really make some changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just, it it felt like one hit after another where Ugh. you're like, oh, they're going to fix it. Oh my God, really? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, oh, yeah. God. Like, it and just then it was like, like, wait, what else happened? Yeah, like, it was crazy yeah. for a couple mm-hmm. days. It was like one thing after another. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So, so <laughs> that's the timeline. So now we're going to break down some of our <laughs> thoughts on this that we haven't touched on yet. I mean, the first thing we have to say is systematic racism is real. Yep. It's it's so real. <laughs> it's, it is it is like it showed up in every little layer of this story. Yes. It's it's crazy. I, I, um, <sighs> okay. So as a teacher, one thing that, I kept thinking while this is all happening, besides obviously the whole sis- the deep, deep systematic racism that's going on, is why isn't salary transparency a thing? 
Like, yeah. why is that not a thing? I am a public school teacher. If you wanted to find out how much money I make, all you'd have to do is know how many years I've worked, what mm-hmm. my um, amount of graduate credits I've taken, and what school district I teach at. You'd be able to figure out my salary in a chart. Mm-hmm. And it's laid out for you. And that is so evident. It's like, if you have this, you have that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that person's getting paid this. Oh, they're here this long. You're getting paid that. I don't understand. I mean, I do understand because capitalism is effed. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. like, I just don't <clears throat> understand why <clears throat> employees aren't just more transparent about pay. I understand, like, money's mm-hmm. sort of a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. But... It's it's doing yeah. everyone a disservice. It is. We need to talk about it more. And the whole thing with this Bon Appetit situation with the YouTube channel, like, so part of the problem that um, that they pointed out is that some of the people like Brad, who had his own show, or probably like Claire as well, mm-hmm. that had like their own show on the YouTube channel, had a separate contract with Condé Nast Entertainment which is like a whole separate thing. So I could see how the way their YouTube channel evolved over time that you have, oh, like Brad has this show we're doing, but then, you know, we're also just trying to do more and more video work. So we're like, hey, can you do a video? Let's shoot a video today. And like people just start doing it more and more, but then it blows up and all this stuff. And then you have Brad, who I saw, which may or may not be true, but I heard that he had a three-year, $1.5 million contract for his video work, which is why it's so insane that Solo was paid $0 for yeah. his video work. Yeah. Um, how, like, I forget what I was saying. <laughs> well, basically, these people are getting paid by a separate entity of yeah. the overall conglomerate that is Condé Nast. Right. And, yeah, so it, like, the way it all evolved – and, like, being a brand who's just, like, grasping at straws, being like, we have to stay relevant, P- like, print publication is dying, all this stuff. Like, let's try the YouTube channel. And then it blows up. And it just evolves in this messy way that people are getting paid in different ways or not at all. But the thing is that when all this came to light and they were like, oh, shoot, like, this is a mess. Let's, let's like, yeah. wipe the slate clean and clean this up. And they failed so miserably. That was probably the most upsetting thing was like addressing the issue. It sounded like they were going to have these negotiations. They were going to, like you said, clean slate. Mm -hmm. And it was messy. Obviously, they were sort of just figuring it out as they go. And like, Mm -hmm. oh, this character, this person is now like a, you know, a fan favorite. Well, what are we going to do with that? Like they had the opportunity to rework the whole system Mm -hmm. and it just fell completely apart. Yeah. Um, and again, going back, why isn't salary transparency a thing that more of us are okay with? Mm -hmm. Because I think if any employee who works in a private company actually sat down and had a conversation with someone who shared similar experience, you're going to find pay discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Like you are going to find it. Yeah. Because that's how capitalism thrives. Secrets. Secrets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like... It kills me to know that the editor-in-chief's salary was millions, potentially. Adam Rappaport had been there for, I think, about 10 years. And he came from GQ. So I'm sure he didn't take the job at BA unless it paid him at least as much as what he was making at GQ before that. So he had to have been making close to a million dollars. Oh, I I have no doubt. To me, it just seems like, especially the comment that was... um, 
you know, apparently said or allegedly said that maybe this isn't the right job for you. Like the audacity. Yeah, it's ridiculous. How how can you say that to someone? Oh, and also we didn't even touch on the fact that she complained to HR multiple times about him asking her to do personal errands. Yeah. And they asked him to stop and he never did. This is a power dynamic thing for sure. I think too, I mean, I think as viewers and as people living in 2020, we're becoming really fed up with like this corporate lip service thing. Mm -hmm. So it's fine to say you're sorry and say you're going to do something, but we actually are now requiring people to take tangible change. Mm -hmm. Um, And that means like if you are a media corporation and you say you're going to do something, we're going to hold you accountable. And we want you to be transparent about those things. And that is like top-down change sometimes. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that means like completely dismantling the system. Um, I am not for cancel culture. I think it's toxic. I don't think it's healthy. It doesn't give people room to grow. But it is incredibly, incredibly important to hold people accountable for Mm -hmm. actually doing the work to change. Yeah. So Because I would be happy to support Bon Appetit again if I see them doing good things, which they may be already doing. I mean, November 2nd wasn't that long ago. We will see. Yeah. So, and um, because of Bon Appetit's like prominent position in this whole world, it would be great if they could use that position to bring all these new like people of color and stuff that they've added to the YouTube staff and stuff and give them a voice. So it's like, I do want to support those new people. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do you support them while also making sure Bon Appetit does the right thing? Right. And so far... There's this distrust I have. Yeah, I am very wary of it. And also what you're saying about lip service, like, that's what made this so disappointing overall. Yeah. Is that BA had put forward this image of being diverse and inclusive, like by showing their test kitchen was a pretty diverse cast by the time this all blew up. But then here we find out that only the white people are getting paid. What? Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. I, I think it's hard because Bon Appetit felt very like inclusive. Um, Mm -hmm from an outsider's perspective, because you saw all these different foods of different cultures and people of color. And, but when you unpack all the layers of what was going on, Mm -hmm. it was much more like, um, it was messed up. And I think that Mm -hmm. causes a lot of distrust. And I think if you're trying to earn back the trust of your viewers or your subscribers or whatever, I mean, you have to be transparent. And I, I'm not saying like, don't watch a YouTube, like, video by Bon Appetit. I actually think if you, if you find a recipe from the new or old thing that you think is great, go ahead and watch it, but it should not be your end all be all. Mm -hmm. And you should not be pouring all of your time watching all the videos. Like, Mm -hmm. and I I guess too, like if we see something that upsets us, we should reach out whether it's on Twitter or send an executive an email, like do something to let them know how you feel about it. Right. Because this all resulted in people speaking up. Yeah. And and it wasn't just the employees speaking up. It was fans of Bon Appetit mm-hmm. speaking up and demanding change. Because so, they, like, you know, the two of us were really solid fans of their work. Yep. And loved to talk about it and, like, send each other videos and stuff. But a whole bunch of people like you and me were like, nope. Yep. And the other thing, too, is they could have met this moment and really owned 
their mistakes and then made a bunch of great decisions. That would have changed the whole industry. But they didn't. And I am not impressed at all. No. I'm extremely disappointed with how they handled this. No. And I think... God, it's like... I... I, I I'm so happy that I had the introduction to a lot of these, like, cooks and chefs who are now on their own independent journey because I love them. I mm-hmm. follow, like, I just, I love their personalities. I I feel like I know them. They feel like, you know, part of, like, my life because I've, you know, cooked with them and stuff. But um, it's really hard to, like, be willing to be, like, that intimate with Bon Appetit. Mm-hmm. There's a new, there's a whole new gang on there. And it sucks because this could be a great, a great opportunity for them, but I mm-hmm. feel like it's going to take a long time for people to actually trust this whole organization again. Yeah. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We're just going to have to wait and see. We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. Also, this is a great time for all of us to start watching, like, independent creators. Yeah, which Sola and Rick have joined the ranks at Food 52, and I've watched some of Sola's videos for them. She's also with Binging with Babish, who is another great um, independent cook. So Yeah. And then, like, Molly has a Patreon. Uh, She has a recipe club. And Carla started a Patreon. And then Claire has her own YouTube channel now. I just think, like, this is a great time to, if you're feeling iffy like we are about Bon Appetit, take this time to invest your views in, like, other independent creators. There's mm-hmm. people that are way better cooks than, like, sorry, than Brad Leone. Like, <laughs> I love Brad, but, like, there are way more creators out there than just the people on Bon Appetit. So, yeah. you know, spend some time on YouTube and see if you find something and, or someone you really like. Like, this is a great time to do that. Yeah. Oh, man. It's exhausting. It is. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. It's such a bummer. It is. It's just, it's a sad thing. Yeah. You guys need to let us know because I know some of you listening were BA fans. Like, let us know where you stand. Like, how do you feel about all this? Yeah. Are you, are you feeling the way that we do or do you have a different opinion? Like, I feel like I would love to hear different opinions because, you know, I think having conversations around this is super important. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll keep you guys updated on the like BA people and what they're doing mm-hmm. and new people that we find online too. Yeah. Follow. And we'll also link to a bunch of like articles and stuff we yeah. use for our research. And if all of this was like way over your head and you're like, okay, I get the gist, like Bon Appetit did some messed up things and they failed at making them better. That's all you really need to know. <laughs> <laughs> and systemic yeah. racism is real. And yes, yeah, systematic racism. It, it's everywhere, even in places that try to make you think that they're diverse and inclusive yep. and all that fun stuff. For sure. Secretly, they're evil. <laughs> in the meantime, you can support wonderful home cooks and chefs and bakers like Sarah Kiefer and yeah. Erica of Pancake Princess, mm-hmm. amongst others. Or look at my blog. I've got recipes. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, that was that was. Are we are we wrapping up that what, segment? I think we're wrapping think it we, up. We can put a cap on it. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> we have a special guest. <laughs> so, so um, we need to call one of our very important listeners. 
Very important. A VIL, if you will. Yes. Um, who has a complaint and a personal grievance. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, we're going to call my mom. Peggy Lenton in the house. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we're going to give her a little ring. We'll see what she's got to say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so she can yell at me. Can't wait. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> okay. So we have a special guest. Oh, God. Calling in today. <laughs> the one and the only Peggy Lenton in the house. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Laura. <laughs> Sorry, right, Peggy, what's going on? Well, okay, so a couple weeks ago, I was at the gym, and I always listen to your podcast when I'm working out, and I was really enjoying the podcast, and, you know, it was one of those nights where I was thinking, I really would enjoy hanging out with you guys. And then you talked about, you know, making cookies and watching a movie some night. And I was thinking, wow, that sounds really fun. I would really like to do that. And then later on in the podcast, you started talking about Thanksgiving food. And you were asking Sarah, I believe, about sweet potato casserole. Or somehow that came up. Mom, hold on one sec. All right. Tell Dad to stop making a racket in the background. Oh gosh, do we have to start he... over now? No, we're okay. No. He's he's empty. He's stuck oh, in yeah, the dishwasher. I'm sorry, I'll get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think you're gonna hear that all? That's fine. We can keep it's it. It's okay. In. It's content. keeping it real. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So anyway, you were saying we were talking about Thanksgiving foods. Right. Right. And, and you brought up the subject of sweet potato casserole. And yeah. So I think, Laura, you asked Sarah if she liked it, and she said, no, not really. And you're like, really? You know, like, a lot of people like sweet potatoes. And so Sarah said, well, and I hear this a lot, you know, well, maybe it was just the way my mom made it. Which, okay, that's fine. And I don't even mind her not liking the recipe that I used. But the part that upset me was she said that I used canned yams for my sweet potato casserole. First of all... I said I I think she might have. Well, you kind of put it out there that I did. And and, (laughs) so everybody thinks that I used canned yams in my sweet potato casserole. All right, Peggy, set set the record straight. All right, well, here goes. I have never, ever used canned yams in my life. And every time I made sweet potato casserole, I peel the sweet potatoes and I specifically go to the store and find sweet potatoes, not yams, because some stores, they, you know, they classify them as sweet potatoes, but they're really yams. So I specifically look for sweet potatoes because I have this recipe from the Williamsburg cookbook from one of the taverns in Williamsburg that I use and I peel my sweet potatoes and I cook my sweet potatoes and then I make my casserole. So well, for- my question then is why do I have memories of cans of yams? And not at our house. Well, where did Maybe I see them Maybe somewhere there? else. I don't know. <laughs> not here. 
Okay. Okay. If you say Is so. there marshmallows? Are there marshmallows in your recipe? There are marshmallows on the top that I put on the very last, like, three minutes, put them under the broiler, you know. And so Sarah was saying that she didn't, you know, they were too sweet, which is hard to believe because Sarah, you know. Really I likes know. Her sweets. <laughs> so... <laughs> But that's okay that she doesn't like the recipe. I was just really offended by her telling the world. Uh, because I know what a great audience you have. <laughs> so all these people that listen to your podcast now think that I use canned sweet or canned yams, actually. Not even well, sweet potatoes. Well, but so you and I looked at that recipe the other night. and yeah, The recipe that- I used. The recipe you use, which doesn't actually call for marshmallows on top, but that's something you do because your mom did it, right? Right. And that that recipe reminds me of my mother's sweet potatoes, which is why I make them. Because I used to like the food that my mom made. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I like some of the food that you made. (laughs) (laughs) But you're not a bad cook. It's just that... Seems like everyone else in the family has different tastes than me, and you're always making things for other people. And I was like, not really. None of my children like what I make. (laughs) Well, you always made like your spaghetti and your chili for Colin. Yeah. Well, you didn't like very much. You only like sweets. (laughs) I like some things you made. Like Sarah, your blog name is Cake Over Steak. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not a baker, so you know. Right. Well. So, I guess I probably didn't make much you like, Sarah, because I didn't bake much. Well, no, do you sorry. know what this means? This means we have to try this recipe on air. <laughs> <laughs> no, what if you both hate it? <laughs> but what I was going to say is that looking at this recipe, it has quite a bit of sugar mixed into the sweet potatoes. So, I was telling my mom that maybe adding the marshmallows on top really does make it too sweet. And maybe she should cut back on the sugar in the sweet potato part. Which I'm all for. That's fine with me. Cause yeah, the one, the one sweet potato... My family never made sweet potato casserole, but they didn't do marshmallows on the ones that I've had before that I really liked. They had like a, like a sugary top, but no marshmallows. Mm. Like maybe yeah, nuts, see, my main issue is with the marshmallows. So that's Like Dad said, you could have just scooped them off. I that's did. I did. <laughs> All right, well, well Peggy I'm, has set the Lenten, the Lenten legacy, like, yeah. clear. Well, I, I apologize I, for blaspheming your sweet potato casserole <laughs> and talking about canned yams that apparently I fabricated. Yes. But Apology accepted. And I, pre- <laughs> I appreciate you two having me on to clarify this. You're Thank welcome. You. Thanks for airing your grievances for all of our audience to hear. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Love you. Gotta go. (laughs) Peggy, where can everyone find you? My mom is referencing a TikTok that I keep showing her of this this woman who does um, reenactments of FaceTimes with her mom. (laughs) And so she pretends to be her mom talking to her on FaceTime. And they always end with, love you so much. Gotta go. Yeah, so mom. Where, where can you find me? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, where can our listeners find Peggy Lenton on the interwebs? Oh, or- like my Facebook? That's all I have. <laughs> I, I, I have an Instagram, but I don't really post anything. You just use that to lurk on people. Right. There you go. I mostly yeah. use my Facebook for lurking also. Yeah. She's a Once lurker. in a while, I'll post something. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But, well, thanks for coming on, Mom. You're welcome. Recommendations. <laughs> Why you go first? I went first with my salty sweet. Okay. My recommendation is a piggyback off of one of yours. Mm-hmm. Since you got me hooked on the Chobani coffee creamers. <sighs> so my current favorite is the peppermint mocha. Sold out everywhere here. Oh no. If it's if you <sighs> see it, pick it up for me. Okay. Uh it's one of those things that I've decided I need to stop buying because I like it too much. Yeah. <laughs> because when I have it, which, by the way, the Chobani coffee creamers froth up perfectly in my frother. It is like the most luscious, velvety froth that also, like, mixes in nicely to the Nespresso. Like, it, they were made for each other. Honestly, one of my best recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) So the peppermint mocha one is so good. It makes me feel like Starbucks is literally in my home. Because especially in college, my best friend Devin and I used to, she used to love the peppermint hot chocolate from Starbucks. So it like takes me back to like wintertime in college, going to Starbucks, being like, Mm. ooh, Starbucks. I know. It's like, ooh, I'm being (laughs) naughty today. I'm going to Starbucks and I'm I'm broke. broke. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I like it too much. So I want it every day, but there's so much sugar. And also the peppermint mocha is a like full-blown dairy creamer, which I try not to have too much dairy because- like, my body doesn't react super well to that much dairy. So, <laughs> I'm like, I got to have this, like, every other day or something. space it out. Yeah, I got to space it out because this is slowly ruining my body, but I love it so much. My recommendation is a beauty recommendation. So, um, around the pandemic, like, in March, I knew I wasn't showing up to work. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not wearing any makeup, like, for weeks. I was just like... We're not wearing Let that makeup. skin breathe. Let that skin breathe, right? And you almost get you. I almost like got used to just seeing myself sans makeup that I forgot like what my face looked like when I put makeup on. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone I really like putting makeup on, but I just wasn't feeling it, so I didn't do it. Um, just didn't need to. And uh, I basically decided I was like, you know what? Like my whole life since I started wearing makeup, I've had one look where it's like. I did, like, the liquid um, eyeliner, like, mm-hmm. little, like, cat eye. Yeah, you always do the cat eye. Yeah, and I still really like that look. It's definitely, like, my signature look. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I'm just, like, not going to do that every day. I'm just going to wear, like, mascara every day. And I was like, yeah, seems like a good idea. Like, less time, whatever, mm-hmm. mixing it up a little bit. Um, and anyway, I've been looking for, like, a really great mascara. I've sort of, like, been trying out a bunch. Mm-hmm. And... Haven't really found anything, was trying to find, like, you know, those, like, dupes for different things, but I eventually just, like, caved, and I got Lancome's um, Monsieur Big Volumizing Mascara, Uh and let me tell you. Yeah? It's so good. 
Is it a normal mascara or a tubing mascara? It is a normal mascara. It's not okay. a tubing mascara. I haven't actually tried a tubing mascara. I was trying a bunch of different things, but I didn't try tubing. But anyway. I use um, um, a Clinique tubing mascara. They have a couple ones. A you just Clinique. have to look for on Clinique to see if it says warm water removal. Oh, yeah. Because you don't one. Yeah, you don't want. Because that's proof. what I use. Yeah. Because I, well, normally I wear contacts except for 2020. <laughs> so. But then also my eyes are having issues, so I yeah, don't want to be putting mascara eyes. on and then having to use makeup remover. Yeah. So I, I love a tubing mascara. Well, I am a big fan of this mascara because it does it it really volumizes them. Like it feels like you have like the fan eyelashes. Mm-hmm. But it also I have pretty straight eyelashes. Like I have to curl uh, them uh-huh. or or even if I do curl them, they don't really do a good job of like staying like that. Okay. This is the only mascara I found that actually keeps like, that curls curl. Them up. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, it's I get in just like black, and I like yeah. really really like it. So. so how much is this bad boy? It's thirty five. Yeah, it's not that bad, but it's like you know, if you think about cost per use though, and it, oh, yeah. it's one of those things like if you decide to splurge on something like like that, I feel like you just have to own it and be like, I love this, and I like using it every day, and I'm spending my money on yeah. this. Yes, and my mindset is I found something I really like. That doesn't mean it's going to be what I get all the time because I still could find you know, something else, mm-hmm. but this can be like my tried and true. I know this is what I really like. So yeah, if I want it. I'm going to go back and get it. So I really yeah. like it though. So if you're looking for a mascara that like, if you have sort of straight eyelashes, um, and they don't really hold a curl, mm. gotta get this. Okay. So it's a good wreck. Yeah. Did you look for dupes for that one first? I did. And nothing's like nothing no, is a dupe. No, like there's a, there's a dupe that was, isn't dupe a funny word? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it was um, L'Oreal. There was like a L'Oreal brand that was supposed to be similar. Mm-hmm. Even looks similar in packaging, but... Oh, is it the one that has the two sides and the one side's like a primer? Yeah, yeah. I tried that one, Yeah, I didn't like it. No, I didn't like it either. Yeah. Um. So anyway, also I do feel like it stays on. It doesn't like flake or anything. Sometimes mm-hmm. it happens, so... yeah. I don't know. I like it. So that's good. Yeah. Cool. All right, y'all. Is that it? That's all. <laughs> you guys, this episode comes out literally the day before Christmas Eve. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so Merry Christmas <laughs> if you celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a, this is kind of like a political episode. You know, we had to get fired up some sometime. And honestly, this is a great conversation with your foodie friends if you're yeah meeting over the holidays. So or zooming with people. Yeah. Like, so what do you really think about Bon Appetit? What are your feelings about? How are you dealing with it now? It's Brad canceled. Is, yeah. <laughs> Which like guys he kind of is. He's kind of yeah. <laughs> he's got a lot to make up for. Anyway, (laughs) but yeah, happy holidays. I know Hanukkah has been going on before this, but happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm. Whatever you celebrate. Just celebrate the end of 2020, if we're being honest. We're almost there. And our next episode is going to be New Year's Resolutions. Yeah, 2021. That'll be a big episode. Which means we have to revisit our goals from 2020. (laughs) That's going to be a trip. (laughs) Get ready for that. No, thank you. We can laugh at it, but yeah. Yeah. So thanks for joining. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review because every little bit counts. Yes. And also share with your friends. Yeah. That's the quickest way is just to be like, hey, I really love this podcast and it's fun. 
Um, and don't forget that you can send us your questions on food, travel, or anything really, um, either on Instagram at Passport Pizza Pod or leave us a voicemail at 717-964-0215. Our show notes with all the links and like resources of the articles that we use for the Bon Appetit stuff, all that good stuff is in our show notes, which is what I said. Oof, guys, this is a long episode. <laughs> but anyway, you can find those show notes at our website, passportsandpizza.com. Yep. And if you want to see what we're up to, you can give us a follow. Sarah is at Sarah with no H underscore Cornelius underscore. And I am Rome and go lightly. Rome is a verb. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, a big thank you to Will Gingrich for our theme music. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next episode. See you in 2021. Be safe and be merry. Yeah. Eat cookies. Eat some cookies. Okay. Okay, bye. Love y'all. Bye. She's not here is because she is really pissed. What? I mean, really pissed. Um, fury. Yeah, I mean, Laura, it's it's not your fault. <laughs> I'm an innocent bystander in this right. situation, but I'm gonna let them hash it out. So she's she's not she's not upset with you at all. She loves you, <laughs> but there are certain other people that she's extremely disappointed in, <laughs> uh, and. I've been working on her the last like 15 minutes or so. I, I let me go see if I can get her. Okay. <laughs>